Welcome. We're in the second of our short series where we're looking at examining and knowing our purpose in God's mission here on earth. And today we're going to be looking at Nehemiah. I don't know about you, but I've always been personally fascinated by how important mundane, mundane tasks seem when faced with the prospect of finishing some sort of dull project at work or even studying for exams for college or high school, as it may be. I remember back in high school and back in college, whenever I had an exam coming up and I was sitting down to study and get ready for that, how all of a sudden things like the requirement for a snack or the need to tidy my bedroom or the need to help out with some other project around the house or some other small thing that I had to research about, I don't know, um, hair follicles or something. All of a sudden, these things became incredibly important. I had to get them done before uh, getting down and doing my studying. I think most of you know what that's like, isn't it? You've got some sort of thing that's impending, it's got to get done, and you just don't want to face it, and then all of a sudden, everything else seems way more important than the task or purpose that you are having to face right at that moment. There's also the scenario where you're working on a goal, but you find that good ideals, good ideas and maybe the other viable opportunities tempt you, and you end up going down a pointless rabbit trail for hours on end, and you're not actually doing what you're supposed to be doing. I had a couple of friends in uh, Bible college when I was doing my theolo theological degree. They were terrible at this. They even failed one or two exams because they'd be studying for their Greek exam and then they'd discover this little Greek inflection word that had nothing to do with our exam and they would spend like an entire two days studying this and getting all excited about it uh, to the detriment of the exam. Rabbit trails, distractions. Or you may encounter the more sinister scenario, the more sinister distraction in your life that is brought about by someone scheming against you and your goal. Uh, an opponent who actively works against what you're trying to achieve. You know, both distractions that are a little bit fun and even opposition, they're both different types of distraction, things that get in the way of what we're supposed to be doing. There are things that we all have and we all need to overcome them at some point in order to accomplish anything meaningful, namely in our subject today, that meaningful being, thing being stepping into all that God has for us, discovering our purpose in Jesus. You know, distractions come in many forms, yet they remain just that, distractions. And in your life with our Lord Jesus Christ, you will come across many rabbit trails, and you'll most likely encounter straight-up opposition at other times when you're trying to step into all that God has for you. And so today we want to explore some ways uh, how those things come at us by looking at the life of Nehemiah and other ways on how we can kind of resist those distractions and stay on course for the things that God has called us to. So before we do that, let's pray uh, before we get to our reading. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have purpose for us. That each person in this room is called by you. It might be some grand purpose, it might be something humble, but all of it is important in your great plan of redeeming this world. And so this morning as we uh, look at the life of Nehemiah and as we just explore this text, would you soften our hearts towards you? Would you help us to open ourselves up to anything that you have to say to us, to any challenge that you want to bring into our lives this morning? Lord, we submit ourselves to you. 
Also pray for my words as I speak and share. Would you cause them to be from you and anything not of you, Lord, I pray would be forgotten. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Nehemiah chapter 4, and it's going to be on the screen behind us. And I'm going to, I'm going to jump between a few verses and make some verse jumps. And, uh, but I want to just give you a little bit of background of Nehemiah, if you're not familiar with this story in the Old Testament. Uh, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the occupying king. So he wasn't in Israel. He was off in a distant land. And one day he feels the need to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild its walls. He's doing his job. Somebody comes in from Israel, and he says, hey, how are things going? And the guy says, yeah, it's pretty grim. The walls are broken down. The city's insecure. The land's just, just in a bad way. And all of a sudden, he feels the conviction of that. It just comes out of the blue. And he begins to pray to God, and he cries out to God, and he starts to pray for Jerusalem. And as part of that, he also repents for his people's sins, even though he wasn't a part of them. But he feels them. He's, he, he gets totally invested, and he, and he gets really down about it. Then he heads in to do his job as cupbearer to the king. The king sees that he's a little bit you know, low that day. He goes, you know, what's the deal, Nehemiah? Nehemiah's like, you know, the city of my people is in ruins. The wall is down, and I just, I've I, I got to do something about it. And so the king says, well, how long are you going to be away for? And he gives him a number that doesn't really tell us. And he says, okay, then go on and rebuild the walls of your city. And Nehemiah says, will you send letters with me? Will you, will you help me to do it? Will you give me your authority? He says, like, sure. So he sends him back. So he heads back to uh, Jerusalem, checks out the scene, begins to meet some people, and begins to put plans into what he's going to do. And then he starts the job. And so this is where we pick up the reading. They're busy doing all the work, and it goes like this, from verse 1 in chapter 4. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Then I'll jump over to, verse six, uh, jump over to chapter 6 and start at verse 1, and it says this. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah... Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set, the, set in the doors, the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. And in between this, there's threats that get flown back and forth from these guys. They talk about how they're going to spread word back to the king that he is actually trying to build the city up so that he can rebel against the empire and so that he can try and get them independent again and declare himself king. So there's all this stuff going on. They're trying to intimidate him. And so, you know, we'll jump over to verse 14 in that same chapter, you know, as they've uh, got to the end to finish the wall. And 
And Nehemiah says this. He goes, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days, which is a miracle in and of itself. And so we have this scenario where uh, Nehemiah showed up. He's come up with a great plan on how to rebuild this wall, and he's gotten everybody involved. They've all done their little bit. They've had to have security on it because there was a lot of threats going on. And even though they were part of one empire, each little area had their army. And so, you know, on the outskirts of these empires, people would fight against each other and try and control certain areas. So it wasn't as easy a job as you think, because even though Nehemiah had the authority of the king, he was a long way away, right? And so he, he was doing this job in a really difficult situation. And so he had lots of other distractions coming his way. You know, these prophets that are mentioned at the end of the text that I was talking about there, they were the prophets that were in Jerusalem. They're supposed to be on his side. But, you know, Nehemiah says that they were getting bribes from Sanballat to basically give him bad advice, to try and deter him from the task at hand. So there are a few points I want to bring out of this passage today. The first one is this. You have a role in rebuilding the ruins of this world. You know, this world is like the walls of Jerusalem. It's steeped in sin. It is broken. It is not all that it should be, not all that it could be. And so Jesus comes to the world, one, to save us from our sins, but more than that, he comes to restore people to what they should be. He comes to restore humanity to the way humanity should be. He comes to rebuild the walls of people's lives, in a sense, if you like. So Nehemiah, going back to the story, takes some time off from his regular job to go to Jerusalem and build its ruined defense walls. Sounds like a simple job, but it was a significant test, a significant thing that he had to do. And it required that he maintain his focus and not be distracted. He had a vision to go back and restore not just the walls of Jerusalem. The point was he went back to restore its dignity, the dignity of the city and the people who lived in it, and to make it a secure place once again from all the local fighting and banditry that it would have been going on at that time. And all of this happening on the outskirts of a vast empire controlled by a very strong king who just oppressed all these other places. So he had to figure out how he was going to get it done. So it required a bunch of prayer, it required a bunch of planning, and a commitment not to be overwhelmed. Often you're going to find this in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, God's going to lay something on your heart, and it's going to seem overwhelming. Because that's the way God operates. He often gives us something that's a little bit bigger than ourselves to do. And we get overwhelmed by it. But we're not supposed to be overwhelmed. We're supposed to invest our prayer in it, plan as much as we can, and then leave the rest to God. Because often it's something that God's going to have to step into and do to make it work. We have to trust that God is going to give us the resources we need to get the job done. And so as well as displaying servant leadership, by getting his own hands dirty, Nehemiah understood that great things can be accomplished simply by everyone doing their small part. And so if you go read the whole book of Nehemiah, you'll notice that he divided the work. He didn't get, just get one small uh, construction team on the job and pay them for it. He basically incorporated the whole city. Every family in the city was given a section of wall to do, 
and they just had to focus on that bit of wall. So some parts, some members of the family defended it, other members of the family worked it. And so everywhere around the whole city, there was work happening the whole time. He, and he, got, and he, cast a, he cast a vision as well. He got everybody on board. Everybody realized we need to build these walls. We need to secure this city. And so it was lots of people doing small things that caused the grand project be achieved. And so the fulfillment of the vision wasn't just down to Nehemiah. And the fulfillment of your vision in your life won't be just down to you. It's not all about you. I know it's hard for us to hear that in our culture because that's where we live our lives, really, from, you know, Monday to Saturday. Every decision we often make is all about us. That's what causes the problems in our marriages half the time, causes the problems at work that we have. There's always somebody making it all about them. And sometimes that somebody is you and me. So often when God asks you to do something to further his kingdom, he's going to set it up so that you need the help of others. You know, a lot of people feel a calling in their heart to do things, and they think, oh, it's all up to me. I've got to do it. But actually, they need the help of others. You know, I felt the call when I was in Bible college to pastoral ministry. I didn't go make it happen by myself. I needed other people to get me to where I am today. And I need other people to help me do this job. This doesn't just happen. Like today after church, we have a pastoral action team, the leadership team. We're all going to my house for a meeting. Because everything that happens in this church happens because of that group of people, because of their competency, not because of mine. In fact, half the meetings, they tell me what I need to do because I'm I'm forgetting stuff. They're like, hey, Billy, what about this? I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, that's a good point. In the back of my head, I'm like, I didn't even think about that. You know, that's how it tends to go. We need each other. Often, in order to achieve your purpose, you need other people on board. And this is how God furthers his kingdom here on earth. Each of us is called to our own small purpose. Sometimes we are leading a vision, and sometimes we are the people supporting someone who's leading a vision and bringing it to fruition. The ownership is the same either way because it's God's work, and we're helping to get that achieved. He's inviting us into it. And so as we all faithfully go about that thing that we're asked to do, greater things are accomplished in this world. And that's no small thing. I want to show a video in a second, Ron, if you want to get that loaded up. Basically, this video is uh, from a guy called J. John. Um, You know, I I found it online, as we do all good things. You know, if only we spent more time on Facebook looking at funny videos of people falling over and less arguing, life would be so much more content. But J. John is telling this story about... uh, how he, how he speaks to people. He's a traveling evangelist. He's English. He's got a nice, funny accent. If you're ready, let's just go ahead and get it up and running. People often say to me, they say, J. John, you know, what, what do you do? And it's always very difficult to know what to say. Because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport, and I said, hello. And she said, oh, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well. (laughs) 
I work for a global enterprise. <laughs> she said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. <laughs> she said, have you? I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. <laughs> <laughs> she went, wow! <laughs> and it was so loud, her wow, loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? <laughs> I said, it's called the church. <laughs> <laughs> If we are a follower of Jesus, wow. then we are part of a global enterprise. But not only is it global, it's intergalactic because it includes everyone that's gone before us. There you go, J. John. I like that guy. So anyway, so everything you do for Jesus, even though you feel like it's insignificant, loving your neighbor, uh, a, a little ministry you do, the, you know, the coffee table out here, greeting somebody coming to church, you might think it's unimportant. But actually, it's contributing to that bigger thing that he talks about. And the way he speaks about it, you also realize, wow, this is, this is a big thing. This is making a difference. God is making a difference in the world, and he is giving you a small part in it. But it serves that bigger vision. But as you do that, there's going to be distractions, and there's going to be opposition. You know, not every meeting leads to a kingdom outcome. Not every attractive opportunity is from the Lord. Not everyone is as keen on your purpose as you are. As a follower of Jesus, you need to open yourself up more and more to the presence and the activity of God's Holy Spirit in your life. Why? Because you will need the wisdom and the discernment that comes with that presence. Nehemiah was in essence sent back as the leader of the govern as the leader or the governor of the city of Jerusalem. And if you read the book, you'll notice that a bunch of these other things come up. He had outright opposition from other regional leaders. He had distractions on how people were borrowing and lending money to one another in, in the city itself. The Jews were basically oppressing one another, so he was having to deal with that stuff. He had administrative problems. Hold on a minute. I've lost my place. There we go. And he had to deal with corrupt people trying to give him bad advice in the city. And so all along, he needed discernment. He needed wisdom on how to deal with these things so that he could get them dealt with but still stay on point with his main purpose. As you go through life, you're going to come across people who are not keen on God's agenda, God's agenda in your life or God's agenda through your life. Some are even going to be openly hostile to the way you want to live out your life and your purpose. You need to be aware of that. And they may even try to stop you. At other points, life will just get busy with random stuff. You know, distractions that ask you to give up on your vision so that you can deal with all these other little things. You know, for Nehemiah, his big vision was restoring the walls of Jerusalem, restoring Jerusalem's honor to a place where it could stand as a city again. 
reflect God's kingdom again, be a place of refuge for his people once more, be a place of worship. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem opposed that and tried to undermine it and put a stop to what Nehemiah was trying to achieve. Why? Well, because they wanted God's people to remain weak. They wanted to keep those who are faithful to the Lord to be kept down and to be kept quiet because they had their own agendas and the, and the agenda of Yahweh through the people, the, the people of the, the Jews was not part of that agenda. And even in modern times, that is the tactic of the enemy for the church, to keep it down, to keep it weak, to keep it quiet on God's will, but to make it nice and loud when it gets things wrong. You know, Sometimes the church is its own worst enemy because of the dumb stuff it does. Let's be honest. A lot of churches out there doing a lot of dumb stuff, okay? You know, and it always makes it to the papers, right? Always makes it to the news. And all those churches out there that are doing amazing things, when lost did you hear about them? I was at one two weeks ago. It was a pretty cool church doing some amazing stuff. But oftentimes, there are people out there who are actively seeking to slander and undermine what God is doing through his church mainly to shut down the message of the gospel. And there's, there's a spiritual realm, there's an enemy who's, who's, who's trying to make that happen. Now, if you're skeptical about that statement, just let me ask you this question. When last did you see someone like me, a pastor, or someone like you, a regular Christian, cast in a general positive light anywhere in any kind of form of media? You know, you just don't see it that often. Very rarely does that happen. And so, you know, the church has a, a little bit of an uh, image problem to overcome as it goes about trying to do what God wants it to do. And, you know, you occasionally might be trying to achieve something good, something that God's laid on your heart and on your life. And so you've got to keep praying into that, keep praying for God to make the path straight, because sometime along the way, someone's going to come along who doesn't like your agenda, and they're going to slander you. They're going to try and make you look bad. They're going to tell everything bad about you, because there's some stuff about you that's not so good. Because sometimes you do some dumb stuff. That's why the church does dumb stuff. Because you're in it. Okay? Because I'm in it. Because I do dumb stuff. And so people see that dumb stuff and they like to communicate that to everybody. You know? But when you see you do good stuff, you know, they just put that back in the back reference. And never mind telling anybody anything about that. You have to be aware that that's going to come through. But you can't let it stop you. You can't let it stop you. You have to keep asking that question. What is it that God is wanting to do in my life? What is he wanting to do through my life? Is it, you know, whether it's big and audacious or whether today it's just small and simple, whatever it is, you've got to ask that question. What kind of distractions are slowing that process down? What sort of opposition is getting in the way of it? And what can be done about it? And so we have to keep a clear focus. We have to keep on point. And so there's a few things to remember to help us do that. One, God's purpose for our life is also God's work in our life. It needs to be done his way if it's to stand the test of time. No shortcuts. No ethical, you know, let's just slip on that one. We've got to do it his way or take the highway. Okay, that's just the way it is. Life with God is his way. It's not our way. But his way is always better than our way. So just, you know, precursor to that one. And so, in order to hold up against the trials and the opposition along the way, if we do it his way, it's got his strength behind it. What is also good about doing things God's way is this. 
there's only one real requirement from you in the whole process, and this should be liberating. And the requirement is this, faithfulness. That's all God asks of you is to be faithful. He leads you to do things. He lays things on your heart. He says, be faithful and leave the results up to God. The results of your purpose, the results of what you're supposed to be doing isn't up to you. This is what I love the most about the Christian life. Jesus says, lay down your burden, carry mine. And we're like, wow, isn't his burden heavier? No, it's not. His burden is lighter. You want to know why? Because his burden is only faithfulness. The results are down to Jesus. The results are down to the Father. The results are down to what the Holy Spirit as he actively works here on earth. All you have to do is be faithful. I love that, right? Because I used to struggle as a young Christian because I am a terrible evangelist, right? Like, I'm not like J. John. I do not, I do not get people saying the prayer everywhere I go. In fact, I probably talk people out of it more than anything else, right? It's like, oh, tell me about being Christian. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. It's about laying everything in your life down for Jesus. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, but it's fun. It's good. You'll like it, you know? I don't know. You look a little shifty to me, little guy, you know? And so we get these things going down. But one thing I realized is my job is just to help people get one step closer to Jesus. That's all I need to do or talk about him. It's his job to reveal himself to them through me. It's not up to me to reveal God and his wonders to everybody. I just have to tell them my story. And that should free you. That should really free you as you interact with people. Your, their discipleship is not your responsibility. Contributing to their discipleship is your responsibility, and God will show you little ways in which you can do that. But their relationship with God, their salvation, all that stuff, that's between them and God. You just got to do your little bit. Tell your story. Take your opportunities to speak about Jesus or to show Jesus through your, be your behavior and your actions. It's the results are always up to God. And so we just have to say yes to his ways, step out in obedience, and leave the rest to him. That should be liberating for every follower of Jesus. Too many followers of Jesus are trying to manipulate people into the kingdom, trying to manipulate people into good behavior. It just doesn't work. Stop doing it. You're wasting your time. So how can we be faithful? Well, a good place to start is by asking this. Am I trying to impress or, or, or manipulate somebody by what I'm doing for God? Or am I merely just being obedient and playing my part in what God is doing? Ask yourself, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to just be faithful? Or are you trying to make something happen? Are you trying to control some sort of situation? That's a good place to start. Another thing to remember about staying on point is this. A great purpose or a great understanding of our purpose, probably a better way to say it, diminishes a lot of distractions. If you really understand what you're about, you really understand why you're doing what you're doing, you'll find that distractions annoy you more than anything else. You just kind of want to throw them away rather than embracing them, okay? And you'll find that opposition kind of stokes you up a little bit more to press through rather than throw in the towel and run to the hill screaming, you know, as, as may be the case. The other thing you can do is learn to pray. Pray, speak to God. Keep talking to him about your purpose. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get this thing done. This is too big for me. I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm freaking out. Keep talking to God about it handing, it, handing it over to him over and over again. Nehemiah wasn't intimidated by others because he already had an intimidating job. Know that God is preparing you for what you are going to do. He has been teaching you and preparing you for your next step. You might not know that, but he has done. 
But if you look back over your life, those of you who are older will have more experience. But if you look back over your life, almost all the stuff you've gone through, even the hard stuff, has helped to prepare you for what you're doing now. And you're like, wow, if I hadn't gone through that, what I'm doing right now would be way more difficult. So be aware of that. For Nehemiah's case, he was a cupbearer, right? That was his previous job. Big deal, Bill. How is that intimidating? Well, it is an intimidating job because the cupbearer's job is this thing. He tastes the king's food and drinks the king's drink before the king does. Why? Just in case someone's poisoned it. So if you're a cupbearer, you're the poor person who's going to be like, wow, this could be my last meal today. This could be my last drink. I might just be about to snuff it, right? It's an intimidating job to do because you're on the brink of death just by eating and drinking. So when he's off in Jerusalem building a wall, he's like, it's an easier job because he knows exactly where the problem is. It's not from the food in front of him. It's from the dude over there in Samaria with army who wants to stop him from building the wall. He had been prepared for a dangerous job because he'd been doing one already. God is preparing you where you're at now. So don't despise where you're at. It's probably going to help to serve something that you're going to do in the future. Take courage from that. And so as we close, I want to throw this question out to you. Do you want to have a sense of kingdom purpose in your life? You know, some people are scared of that. Some people quite like floating through life without much purpose, you know, from one, next, one, one Netflix, you know, binge to the next. That's all I want. I want to pay my bills and find the next good show on Amazon Prime or Netflix or, you know, whatever the case is now. There's so many different things you can buy. Is anything in you that's resisting that sense of kingdom person, purpose. There's something in you that goes, no, I don't want to know my purpose. I don't want God to ask me to play a part in his bigger thing. I just, I, you know, that, that, that there's something in you that's resisting that. What is that? You know, maybe you just struggle to believe that God would have a purpose for you. Maybe you struggle to believe that God's good and that his purpose for you is actually a good thing. Maybe you've got in the back of your head, hey, if I say yes to God's purpose in my life, he's out to get me. I just know it, you know? Maybe you feel like you're going to be sent to Afghanistan, right? This was the big joke when I was on staff at the Glasgow Vineyard over in Scotland where I used to be, is that my, my senior pastor, I had two kind of senior pastors, my senior pastor and his wife were both kind of in charge. Her big joke when she wasn't pleased with my behavior in the office, because I like to carry on a little, uh, she would turn around and say, Billy, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to pray that God sends you to Afghanistan. Uh, the reason why they always used to play that joke on me is I have very little tact. You know, I have way more now than what I did back then. And so the big rumor was to all my friends who are missionaries in the Middle East that if I went as a missionary to the Middle East, I'd last about 36 hours. Because I'd say something dumb in those 36 hours and get myself, you know, sorted out, so to say. And so this was her big threat to me. Maybe, maybe you think God's like that. And he's just, he's just looking for an opportunity to motto you out. You know, or maybe you feel like you're too average. Maybe you feel like you have no gift. You're just, you're just redundant. You're a redundant person. Yeah, everybody else has a purpose, but you know what? I'm just, I'm not much. Maybe that's how you feel. That's a lie from the devil, by the way. Maybe you feel like you're not exceptional enough. Well, Nehemiah wasn't exceptional. He was a slave, a cupbearer to an oppressing king. But he had an exceptional vision that God helped him to carry out. 
Maybe you're just someone who's struggling to keep your head above water with everyday life. You're like, I don't have room for God's purpose in my life. It doesn't work like that. His purpose is probably integrated into your everyday life. You just got to look for those opportunities to impact people with the goodness that God has done in you. Don't be overwhelmed by purpose. Whatever it is, take heart. We serve an overcoming God who brings us purpose, and in the midst of that, he also brings us peace. A lot of people are terrified by what God would ask them to do because they think he's going to ask them to do the very thing that they hate. Okay? This is quite a popular teaching in some, some streams of the church. We don't teach it here in the vineyard because we just don't see that played out in the Bible. So when I was finishing high school, I was thinking about what to do. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to get into business. I wanted to be rich. I wanted to, big, to write big like tithe checks. I was like, yeah, I want to make loads of money, tithe 20%, 30%. I'm into that. The last thing I want to do is be a pastor, right? So sheep butt. And I'm like, that's just not what I want to do. I just, but I, I really enjoyed doing ministry type things. I enjoyed, I used to do a lot of kids ministry at the time. And I was like, yeah, maybe I could work for like a sort of an organization. I could do that. And, and so I laid that down. But as I went and I did real jobs, as I went and I got to college and I worked in, in certain project management fields, I found that as time went by and as I got to know God better, the only thing I wanted to do was go into pastoral ministry, was to lead churches. So by the time I actually got into college and completed my degree, I had to wait another eight years before I actually got to do that job. And it's all I wanted to do. So by the time it came around, there was a lot of peace about it. And so as you go about your life, as you surrender your life to God, as you begin to ask him to produce his purposes in you, one thing I want to tell you is that it's something that you really want to do. As God shapes your heart, he shapes it to the thing that you really want to do. Your calling is something that you, you, you get to feel passionate about. We have a person in the vineyard, her name's Jackie Pullinger. She does this amazing work in Hong Kong. And it's like, it's just out there. She works with drug addicts. It's just, it's one of those callings that she, you just, you're like, how do you do that job? It's like, you know, how do you bear the burden, Jackie? That's how people ask her the question a lot of times. She goes, what are you talking about? It's not a burden. I love it. I, I says, I look at the things you people do, like regular jobs and like, you know, going to the park on Sundays. I think I would die. She goes, my job is fun. You know, hanging around the streets and, well, they actually, the way they do ministry is they drag drug addicts off the streets into rehab. And she's like, and she loves it. She loves what she does. Yeah. Yeah, things are different in Hong Kong, right? She loves what she does. And that's how it works. When you begin to surrender yourself to the purposes of God in your life, even if it's a really tough thing to do, you'll find that you love what you do. It gives you life, because that's the point. So don't focus only on that final end goal. It's too overwhelming. Rather, invite God to reveal and help you to take your next step today. What is, what is God asking you to do today, tomorrow, this week? What purposes is he working on in your life? What's he asking you to overcome? Focus on those things and see what he's going to do. Hey, Christian, you want to come on up? Uh, if you would like to stand with me, everybody, as we just kind of move into ministry time. You know, ministry time here at the Vineyard is just our time of response. Um, 
It's that, that time where we encourage you to welcome God's presence uh, into your own life. Welcome the Holy Spirit to come and speak to you where you are. Uh, it's also a moment where if you want to receive prayer for anything today, if you're sick in your body, we believe in healing, so you can come on down to the front here on my right and somebody will pray for you. But we'll pray for anything as well. If there's any other burdens in your life, you just want people to stand with you. So make use of that. But this is just your time between you and God. God is a personal God. He wants to reach out to people, and he does that through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And so his Holy Spirit's here right now, and we just got to quiet ourselves down and, and welcome him and invite him to make himself real to us. So Holy Spirit, would you just do that right now? We, we ask you to come and, and make us aware of you. Make us aware of whatever it is that you want to do in our hearts today. Maybe it's got nothing to do with today's message. Maybe you're someone that this is off your parameter. You, you're not even a follower of Jesus. You're just exploring. Um, maybe you're feeling that tug today and you feel like Jesus is asking you to take a step closer to him, to, to begin following him more actively, to, to let him be the Lord and Savior of your life to accept his authority over you. If that's something that's really working in you right now, I just invite you to come down and speak to one of us and we can begin to help you to take the next steps in that journey. Now, what is God stirring up in your heart right now? What small step can you make towards that today? And just spend a moment right now just defining, asking for, or even saying yes to that next step in your heart right now. You're not irrelevant. God has made you. You have an impact to make. So if you know what that is and you know you need to do something today, you know, maybe speak to somebody about it so that you can put your your flag in the sand, get someone to pray for you.